Welcome to Ease, the entertainment and showbiz experiences podcast. It's all things entertainment based, how to get into it and how to develop it into something once you are ready to move on. All the information people didn't tell you, forgot to tell you, or were too busy to tell you, all told through personal experiences. Welcome back, everybody. In this season's first two-part series, Sabrina Jafar joins me to explain how she started a successful high school dance program in one of the biggest school districts in the U.S. from scratch. She candidly speaks about her career, injuries, COVID-19, mental health of dancers, and some key factors that helped her program get to where it is today. Listen to this inspiring story and tune in next week for part two. Enjoy this week's one-on-one. Perfect. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, you know, uh, quarantined like everyone else in New York City, though, which is a little extra challenging, but we're good. Yeah, I know. I keep seeing so many things from my friends that live in New York City that it's just, it's completely different. I mean, I think that it's probably the one city that's gone the most drastic. Yeah, it's, um, you know, for a city where most of us live here because of the city and being out in the city, um, to not be able to do that, it really is very, very different uh, form of life. I mean, we're so used to interacting with people. Like, you, ha- if you like to interact with people, um, you know, New York is a place for you. If you don't, mm-hmm. it's not. And at this time, it's, it's definitely a challenging environment. And small spaces and all of those things, you know how it is in New York. Oh, but- oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. Because you, you sacrifice your indoor space for, your, for the outdoor space. And exactly. I mean... It, this is an introvert's dream, like people just staying inside and like being fine with it. And then I just, you know, I always, people always say, you got to check on those extrovert friends that just want to be out doing things, talking to people because they're the ones that are like suffering the most from all of this. Oh, for sure. And that's totally me. I mean, dancers are such social creatures. It's a social art form. So, yeah. you know, to not be having that communal experience in the studio is is different. And it's also challenging in a good way. It gets you to know yourself in a new way, have time for thoughts. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting what we're going through right now for everyone. Oh my gosh. I know. I know we just jumped right into it, but let's, let's go, Sabrina. Like how, yeah. what's, what are you doing now? What's, what do you tell everybody what you do? <laughs> okay. Well, um, at the moment I am the founding director of a public performing arts high school magnet dance program in Brooklyn, New Mm -hmm. York. And um, I started the program from scratch. There was no dance program in the high school, which the high school is Fort Hamilton High School. It's the second largest in the New York City public school system, which is the largest public school system in our country. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I started from scratch seven years ago uh, with the partnership of the Joffrey Ballet School in Manhattan, which is where I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting, very unique opportunity and experience because where we're always hearing about the arts being cut and and high schools and schools, you know, dropping their arts program, this high school, the former principal, actually came to the Joffrey Ballet School in wanting to start a dance program. Mm. Yeah, it kind of was the other way around. And just, we started discussions with them for two years before we actually started because it's it's quite the process to start anything in a public, you know, yeah. school yeah. environment, the red tape, the it's kind of crazy. Um, 
the process was super interesting and I learned a lot and it took a lot of uh, real commitment to the end goal to see that it happened, but it did. And it's just been an incredible experience. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful program. It's in its seventh year and we're about to graduate, you know, seniors who are going to conservatories and other students who are going to use what they learned in dance to be doctors and psychologists and, you know, nurses and all of those yeah. things. So it's, it's amazing. I know I'm talking to a lot of people and some most sometimes they were old ex dancers and now they're, you know, CEOs of companies because they learned discipline and they learned whatever they got gained from dancing. They really have just excelled in, in their other lives. Um, I want to talk a lot about this, but let's go back to the beginning. What made you want to start dancing? Wow. So, and tell me if I'm being too long winded, but I was, no, please go for it. (laughs) I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, in a different way because I realized before I became a parent or even a teacher, I may have started that story with like my first dance studio or something like this. But as I've watched my daughter grow and I've gotten to see a human develop and Mm -hmm. I've been teaching, um, I realized that, you know, really like the story of dancers happens from such a younger age. I, like all of us, I think, I was always such a kinetically driven child, young child. I was an only child with pretty much a single mom for most of my um, childhood and adolescent years. And I think not having siblings in a large family caused me to really go into my imagination a lot and explore my personality because it was really all I had. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... um, I I feel like my story of dance and movement really started at a very young age of climbing trees and always finding joy and wanting to push that physical capacity. So wanting to see how high I could, you know, the highest, I want to be the highest person to climb the tree mm-hmm. and break the branch and fall. But, um, and then I think there was a point where my mother was like, okay, we need to get her into something structured. She's climbing all over my house, the dancing, jumping, whatever. And so like most kids, you start to explore different things, gymnastics, um, figure skating was a big one. I really got into, um, soccer. I loved soccer. I started what we call now, I guess, recreational dance at a a community center, which is why I really support community centers. Um, Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford, you know, the typical studio and it was an affordable way to get, um, dance training. And and I think out of all those things, dance was always the thing that really stuck. And I, I really found a lot of joy and passion in. Um, but I didn't really start training till later. In middle school, I fell in love with performing because of musical theater. We nice had, an, yeah, I went to a public middle school in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, it had a really great, it wasn't in the best area, but it had this really wonderful teacher, Tony Kessler, who... Um, just did everything he could to create a program where kids could thrive in the performing arts. And his musical theater program is what just absolutely made me fall in love with the stage. I mean, I was in every production. I went to every extra thing after school. And within that, um, we would have choreographers. And and there were many times where I, I had the opportunity to be the lead role, say Sandy in Greece or whatever it was. And the choreographers would, um, always be people that I really connected to and the dance portion of the show was I think always my favorite thing to be a part of Mm -hmm. and so to make a long story short um 
one of the choreographers who ended up also being uh, a dance teacher of mine at the recreational center, her name was Kristen Gorga. She ended up becoming almost like a sister, but she really told me once, she said, you know, dance is something that seems to come somewhat natural to you. You should really like take more serious classes. And I was like, I would love to, I can't afford it. It's not really something, you know, that is in the options right now, but I really, really want to. And so she told me about Dillard High School Center for the Performing Arts, which is where you and I graduated from. And for those who don't know, it's a magnet high school in South Florida, which means that it has a performing arts program where the kids are auditioned in, but it's within a high school that is a zoned high school for that area. And um, it was about an hour from my house, 45 minutes. And I will, I know for four years, but now it's so funny because I have so much respect for my students because I know what they go through because that's exactly what my high school is. And we'll get back to it later. But yeah. Yeah, the commitment to go, you know, an hour mm -hmm. every morning and get up at five for that bus. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I wanted to dance and I wanted to dance bad. And that was the only way. And um, I'll never forget the audition. Denise Dalton was yeah. my audition <laughs> teacher who I love so dearly. And I remember it so vividly because while I had had this recreational dance training, jazz, you know, um, it wasn't serious. And I remember physically being in the room and mentally and not having any idea what she was saying, like having no clue what she was saying, mm -hmm. but being able to copy all of the shapes and the movements that she was doing. And it was very stressful because, you know, she was using her terminology and there was all these other kids in the room. And I left really feeling like, well, didn't get that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, as we do, as we still probably do in auditions. Of course. Of course, that's what we do. And then I got the acceptance and I was so absolutely thrilled. And I feel like Dillard, my high school, from the moment I started there was really when it was like all in, like. Nothing mm -hmm. else mattered, dance was it, and I had a lot of catching up to do. And so I know for a lot of young male dancers, it's common to start a little later in their serious training, not as much for female dancers. So I always encourage my female dancers, like it doesn't matter if you start later. It matters yeah. your work ethic, the opportunities that you take advantage of, um, you know, your mindset, the hours you put in, the passion you have, all that. And I remember um, specifically because I was put into your class, which you mm -hmm. were a senior when I was a freshman, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yep. And uh, I reflect on all this because it's helpful for me on in my when I'm teaching and creating my high school program and the way I relate to my students. Um, but I just remember they put me in the advanced class and I was so intimidated and you were so amazing and all of you were so amazing. And I had no idea what our ballet teacher, Hannah Baumgarten, was saying because I didn't know terminology, you know, on day done, blah, blah, blah. So I would purposely, I was so stressed out, I would purposely put myself last in the last group so I could physically sit there and watch you all and learn it before it was my turn. <laughs> and um, it was just, it was such, it was such a visceral experience of stress and joy and exhilaration and more stress that I still feel the room. like. It's, it's kind of amazing um, when you're an adolescent how much things really burn into your body and your brain. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, so I feel like from then, like I really credit the majority of my dance training, my understanding of the art form to Dillard Center for the Arts, which was a free public performing arts high school that I would not have had the opportunity to train, to find my um, purpose and passion and other people in the world who understood the world physically the way that I did and expressed themselves in that way without that program. I mean, I just wasn't one of those kids that were going to be able to afford a, a private school. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's a lot to be said about Dillard and the teachers that they brought in. I, I, I do the same thing. I reflect upon it so much and think, gosh, if, if, I never met Hana and they never gave Hana a chance to come in because she didn't have her teaching certificate. She didn't have any of that stuff, but they saw the potential in her and that really helped all of those people. Because like you said, this is, there's an audition process to get into this, but there's multiple levels. So there's people that have never danced a day in their life. And there's people that are dancing, you know, multiple hours a day, but they really gave Hana a chance. And then Hana brought in, Denise. And then it just kind of was this whole chain reaction of teachers that were willing and wanting to work and really improve the dancers. And it really helps. You see so many people have come out of, out of that program, just more capable and more confident and much stronger individuals, human beings, dancers, the whole nine yards from, from their leadership. So it was, it was an incredible program. And I think about it often too, as well. Yes, I agree. And and it's interesting because we can get to this later too, but I had a similar experience as Hana because I wasn't certified when I started. And I think giving artists those opportunities or in general people the opportunities based on their, they had very high level of training, our teachers, Juilliard and, and NYU Tisch and um, performance careers. And those are the people you want in the room, you know, teaching your students and especially if they are really passionate about teaching, which you know, Hannah and, and Denise were, um, mm -hmm. I would not be where I was today without that school and without those teachers, hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. And they gave a lot of great advice outside of the classroom as well. And they really mentored one-on-one -on -one with people and they never really gave you lofty expectations to put on yourself like they they would physically sit down with people and say we think this is what you could do and I know they sat down with me and they said listen this is where you need to be auditioning and Hana kind of took the lead with that what it, was that influential in decisions that you made to go to college as well oh my gosh so much so I mean you know we're our worst critics and and I I was definitely a perfectionist to a fault and I while I loved to dance more than anything. I wasn't sure that I didn't know if I believed in myself enough to, um, you know, go for it professionally. And if it wasn't for their belief in me, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have taken that leap. I mean, well, first of all, you know, I was coming from a single parent family household where, um, in, in a difficult one, in a difficult situation, very quickly it happened and my mom had to figure out how to support us. So she cleaned houses and it was a very big struggle for us mm -hmm. financially. Um, there were times where we didn't have a place to live and we lived with friends or we lived with our pastor. And so she very much, uh, you know, taught me, you need to be able to support yourself. You need to go to college. She hadn't gone. I was actually the first in my family to go to college. You need to um, do something that makes money. And mm -hmm. so something that was very much burned into the back of my mind and what that meant, that making money meant a certain job mm -hmm. and a 
comforting yourself meant a certain type of job. And so I kind of always held myself back just slightly because, you know, when you fall madly in love with dance, it's like falling in love with, you know, a human madly. You're, you're not rational. And so I was always trying to, to keep my rationale about, about those opportunities. Um, and I remember my senior year, I still hadn't, or maybe it was my end of my junior year, I still hadn't settled. And I, I loved anatomy because we learned so much about anatomy in school and I love the body. So I said, you know, what? I'll be a physical therapist. Mm. Um, and that was the route that I was going to go. And then Hannah, I remember, <laughs> and you need these people in your life. And I try my best to be sensitive to one. I know my students need this person, but she looked at me and I'll never forget it. She looked me in the face. Almost, I almost feel like she grabbed my shoulders, but she probably didn't do that. Probably she, did. Yeah. She probably might have. She might have done that. She might have. <laughs> and she looked at me. We were in um, the new studios that were very, very large. So we were the only two in there. And she was like, you will not be happy in your life. I know you if you do not dance. And she said it with such like she knew me so much better than I understood myself. And a good teacher does. And like you were saying before, it wasn't that they just taught us. They, they were personally invested in us. They knew us as individuals. Um, and I trusted her. I trusted her like a second mom, you know? And mm -hmm. um, so I was able to meld almost like my two mom's voices in my heads together. And I trusted her. And I decided to go for it. And I was crazy and auditioned for like an insane amount of schools because I thought, oh, I'm not going to get any in anywhere. I'm only going to get in one place or whatever it was. And thanks to her and her push, I got into every single school I auditioned for except Juilliard. And I am so thankful, so thankful that I am not a physical therapist right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love physical therapists. I spend a lot of time with them. But yeah, um, yeah I think she and my mentors and teachers, they meant everything to that success and, and to me putting myself out there in that way. So, yeah. And then I, I thought I was going to go to SUNY Purchase. I was really excited about, about that school and the level of training. And I, I had mm -hmm. thankfully gotten a full scholarship. And then I found out I got into the ALE Fordham BFA program. And I went and visited both schools, which I always encourage all of my students to go visit because you get a better sense of, you know, if you feel like it's a good fit for you. And um, I, when I walked into the ALA building after being at Purchase, I just felt at home. There was a vibration on a level of joy for dance and um, seriousness of training that was just so clear. And I felt mm -hmm. at home instantly in that building with those people. Miss Jefferson, Denise Jefferson, rest in peace. Um, she was the artistic director of the school for a very, very long time. Um, she was the one who really gave me a chance and who gave me a Jerome Robbins scholarship to attend uh, the Fordham Ailey program. And uh, she was like another Hana for me. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so so I went to the Ailey Fordham BFA program for my undergrad. Nice, really yeah. nice. That's like that partnership was. It's, how long has that partnership been going with Ailey and Fordham together? Well, when I started, it was a pretty new program. It was probably like started four years before that. So, gosh. Yeah, because that wasn't when I was looking at colleges. 
to go to. I did the same thing you did. I didn't, I waited till forever. And I mean, under the mentorship of like Hannah and Denise, they took us to the the high school dance festivals. And that was a really big, back then, I'm not sure what it is now, but it was a humongous catalyst for recruitment and for scholarships and really developing talent and seeing it develop over four years. So I was lucky enough to, to do that and go there and then kind of work backwards with trying to get into school. But Ailey Fordham was never an option for me. And I, I remember even looking back maybe after I graduated, thinking about thinking about how awesome that partnership was and how they really were developing something brand new that wasn't always there. For sure. And yeah, I think it probably had just might maybe started the year that you had gone or maybe one year before. And um, yeah, they don't, they're they're like SUNY and like Purchase and Juilliard, they don't attend the festival, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But um, it was a really unique program for me in that um, I... I love studying and I love school and I love learning other things other than dance as well. And so to have Fordham as a very strong academic program that was matched with just as strong of a dance conservatory for me really worked for other people. It doesn't, if you don't really love to study and love like a high level of um, that type of education too, Uh, It's Mm -hmm. very intense because both institutions, while it's a partnership, they are completely separate institutions. And so they both want 100%, 100% of the time. Their Mm -hmm. schedules don't always line up very well. So there were many years where like, I didn't have a spring break or I didn't have, uh, if I was, if I had the chance to perform Memoria with Alvin Ailey at City Center, which like some of the students did, then you don't even have a Christmas break. And so it's very, it's, it's extremely intense. And the amount of hours a day that you train, um, is not for everyone. And we had Mm -hmm. a lot of people leave in the first year and then, you know, other students got to come in, which is fabulous. Um, and so managing academics and, uh, and your dance is probably a little more challenging in that program than some others. Um, and also, being able to manage just the amount of hours in the program. Mm -hmm. Most people, I won't say most people, there's a high, I think, a high rate of injury at times just because of lack of sleep and fatigue from not having enough time to rest. I know I went through that my junior year. Um, I went to Jacob's Pillow all summer and then like did another summer intensive and just never took a break because I was always, my mentality was more, 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 the better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now, you know, I teach my dancers differently and we know now better that rest is important. And I ended up with, uh, I did a lot of Robert battle work that summer and it's very heavy on the bones. And I had, uh, multiple stress fractures in both of my shins Mm -hmm. when I went back to school. And, uh, That was another moment that when we were speaking about mentors and teachers, that was really, really highly important for me that I also try to remember when I'm teaching. Um, I was in New York City alone. I have no family. You know, I'm on a full scholarship. So when you're told that you have to sit out for six months, and this is, you know, any dancer has been through a a situation like this, the stress of not knowing what's going to happen what people are going to think. Is your scholarship going to be taken away? What's going to happen? Are you going to be left behind? Uh, And you don't have a parent when you're young and and in a different state, especially New York City, to kind of walk you through that. And Mm -hmm. I'll never forget because I I went straight from the doctor who 
um, this specific doctor, and I know all dancers know to get multiple opinions, but specifically this experience is why I share with my students all the time. I went into this doctor and he told me that for sure the only way I could heal was with a surgery where they were going to put two nails through my patella tendons down my tibias to allow mm. weight to come off so they could heal. And I researched very quickly on my own because at Fordham we have access to all the medical journals, this specific surgery. And what he didn't tell me and that I found out on my own, which is why dancers have to be advocates for their own body, mm -hmm. is that I could have had pain pleading for the rest of my life with that surgery. Mm. And Essential. That, that's what dance is. Dance is yeah. pleading. I mean, Essential you know, movement. Mm -hmm. It was like, I might as well not have the surgery, you know? And yeah. so, but he made it seem like it was the only option. So when I remember when I walked into the Ailey building, I went into the office and I asked if I could see Miss Jefferson, who's the, the director of the school. And her secretary told me, no, she's about to go into a meeting. Well, she came out of her office to go to the meeting and she saw my face and I must have been white like a ghost. Um, and she looked at her assistant and this is like Hannah. This is when you know you have a good director. She looked at her assistant and said, cancel my meeting. And mm. she took me into her office. In that moment, she she's a dancer and she knew, you know, mm -hmm. something needed. She I needed her in that moment. She could have very well said, come back later. She has so many students at the Ailey building, you know? Yeah. And she brought me in her office. She closed the door. I told her what happened. She stayed so calm and I will never forget. It's so simple. Sometimes it's not what you say. It's like who says it and when. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And all she said was she grabbed my hands and she looked me in the eyes as confidently as Hannah did at that moment that I needed it. And she looked at me and she said, you will be okay. Mm -hmm. And I did not believe that for myself, but hearing her say it, I believed it. And it was everything I needed in that moment. It's so simple. You know, sometimes we think we have to have this eloquent speech provided to our students or our company members or our peers. And sometimes you just have to be open and sensitive to knowing what they need in that moment. And it might be something simple like that. You will yeah. be okay. <laughs> yeah. And in this time of pandemic, sometimes we just need someone to tell us, remember, it will not always be like this. You will be okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, man, what a transformative talk for you. Yeah, it was huge. And then, you know, she recommended me to go to the Ailey orthopedist, which is what all the pro professional dancers here use, which is, um, Dr. Rose. He's amazing. And he looked at me and told me, absolutely not. I would never tell you to have that surgery. You just need to stay off your legs for, you know, it was a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it was a very long time and that was painful, but he said, you just need to not dance and let your bones heal. And then after a certain amount of time, if they don't heal, then we might need to consider. And I didn't need to have the surgery. So, you know, the right people in our lives at the right times to give the right advice, all of it is so, so uh, valuable. Yeah. How, how, what, you, what year in college were you when this hell happened? That was my junior year. Oh, so it nearing the end. How did it affect oh. the rest of your the rest of your experience there? Yeah, I was I was well, I was extremely stressed out that year because that I was doing really well. I was top one of the top of my class. I was always the you know in the group being invited for things, and then that's the year where you we do like our rep, 
Mm-hmm. And um, like certain rep that uh, we take on tour and things like that, which I did end up getting to do, but I had to watch a lot of rehearsals and that was really hard. And you start to get a little bit paranoid as all dancers do, you know, is their eye going off of me? You know, all those things are just, wow, mental things that I now know as a teacher when my students get injured and they're sitting out and they seem fine. I know the mm-hmm. internal struggle and uh, just the, the, the things that are irrational that go on in our mind. When, when the thing that you identify with, that you love most in the world, that you've put your most, the most of yourself into is now taken away. Um, it's mental health in the dance community mm-hmm. is something I think we're now getting better at addressing. But it is definitely something that I think needs to be even more a part of our training, like into our curriculum, like at a very strong level and not just, you know, um, not just a lot of times we have a lot of talk about, you know, anorexia or bulimia or eating disorders, things like that. Yes, of course. But there's so much more to the the dancers mental uh, capacity that we need to address as training it's it's just as much mental as physical we all know that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no and I, I was talking to somebody about at a young age you you're you know you uh, people always want to encourage you and push you and kind of give you that guidance and then at a young age I was always being told no that's not right so I've always lived in this world of I needed to be even more perfect. So I, I struggle as a grown up thinking, how can I release myself from all these, all being told at such a young age, no, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. Like repetitively in class, like over and over and over and over again. I mean, that got us to a point that we needed to be in, in our careers, but mentally, how has that affected me as, as an adult, like thinking, gosh, my perfectionism is trying, is literally holding me back because I, I don't know how to take that now. So it's, it, it, you're absolutely right. Mental health at those formative years is definitely something we need to focus on in the dance community. And you're right. It's beyond, it's beyond that anorexia, bulimia, all those things in, like you said, sitting out because of an injury. And also as a teacher, being able to look at somebody and tell them they need to sit down because of an injury and telling them, giving them that advice and saying your career could needs to last longer yes. and it can be shortened because you're doing this. And that's Perfect. a hard realis- realization for some people as well. And that mental health state. Oh, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, we were, we were at the, we were still in that generation, like you said, of more is better. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're weak if you sit down and you push yourself past the limits and like you said, it doesn't often turn out uh, beneficial in longevity. And we just have too much information now. Too many dancers get college degrees now with anatomy and kinesiology that understand the body and understand um, psychology to for us to continue that cycle of teaching, you know, so I really try, especially Mm -hmm. once I went to graduate school for my master's in dance education and pedagogy, that I think is one of the biggest things I got out of my graduate program was all the developmental 
classes, um, adolescent development and all the methods of teaching and, and the theories of people who have studied, uh, you know, how our brains work in learning environments. And that has really changed the way that I teach and approach teaching. Um, mm -hmm. And the phases of development are real. I think often people teach adolescents as if they are adults and they are not. Yeah. <laughs> Their brains mm -hmm. are not the same and they react differently. Um, and, and we have to be really sensitive to that. Sure. Um, was so after your after you graduate from Fordham Ailey, do you yeah. went you went right into your master's or did you take some time off in between? Oh no, yeah. So after I graduated, um, I I was apprenticing for Pascal Ryu, and then I was dancing with some companies, Buklisi Dance Theater and Yasimar, and doing some other um, uh, projects and things like that. And so I went into dancing full time and. I also then started teaching on my off seasons at the Joffrey mm -hmm. Ballet School because one of our teachers also at Dillard High School. Um, so this is a really great podcast for understanding how, you know, your network can really yeah. help you later on and, and mm -hmm. how investing in people and relationships is, is very, very important. Um, so one of our teachers, Joe Matos, she left Dillard because then she became the director of the school at Ballet Hispanico. And from there, she became the director of the Joffrey Ballet School's um, Young Dancers program. And um, she knew that I loved teaching. I loved teaching from a very early age. Um, something I didn't mention was in high school. I started after school dance programs in private schools. And um, oh, cool. I loved it. I mean, I it wasn't a job. It, they thrived. And I really found that sharing my passion of dance with others and watching them grow in it and watching them experience the same joy was so fulfilling. And then at the same time, it helped me with my gas money to get to Dillard every day. <laughs> <laughs> and I saved and the money I made from teaching in high school is the money I used for my plane ticket to get to New York and my money that I used for the first few years of college. So teaching was always um, something that I loved doing. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't a, oh, I have to teach today. I loved it as much as almost as much in a different way, but just as much as being in a studio performing. Um, and so Joe Matos, she always knew that I loved teaching. I was always open to hearing her pedagogy and she brought me in for an interview with then George de la Pena, who was the head of the school at Joffrey. And um, I interviewed, he watched me teach multiple times and they hired me to teach. So I started teaching on my off, uh, weeks or seasons at the mm -hmm. Joplin Play School. Absolutely love that. Um, I would help her run the summer programs and I started to learn more and more about curriculum development. And she was really, Joe Matos was a huge, huge inspiration, but also um, mentor in my teaching. And she has her master's degree in dance pedagogy as well. And so oh, then, nice. yeah. And so that's when I guess I was teaching and dancing for four years there. I had then just had my daughter, um, mm -hmm. Sadie Melton, and I really only took like six weeks off from dancing and then went right back into rehearsal, which was a little crazy. Went back into teaching at Joffrey and 
I then, oh, I then started dancing um, with another company called Naini Chen, which was much more full time. And I was so happy and I loved it, but it did take me away a lot and out of town. And so I would have to get my classes covered at Joffrey. And it became kind of a, a difficulty because even though you get your classes covered, you know, kids fall in love with their teacher and they want mm -hmm. you when they come. <laughs> yeah. And so that was difficult to manage uh, for the few years that I was doing that. Um, and then my daughter was approaching almost elementary school age when Fort Hamilton High School came to Joffrey and said, we really want to start a partnership with you guys to have a quality new dance program in the public school. And from there, uh, at the time when, when Joe had asked me if I'd be interested in starting this program, which it's something I always dreamed about. I always knew that I wanted to give back the way that Dillard gave to me one day. Mm -hmm. um, it was a little sooner than I would, have, you know, perfectly planned in, you know, our life plans. Yeah. But I was like, this is an opportunity. I know that this is something I can do. I want to do. I feel passionate about it. And the thought of giving back the way that it gave to me is just, is everything. I think it's, it's what life is about, you know? And, um, so the one thing though, was that Joe didn't, it's very complicated, the public school system we know. But yes. <laughs> uh, in New York, even more so. And so Joe didn't know that I was, that I was going to have to get a master's degree at the beginning. I didn't know it either. And so I kind of started because I was able to get, like you said, with HANA, a certain license called a transitional A license. If you can prove to the state it's like a career and technical license that mm -hmm. you worked professionally in your field, in the content that you're going to be teaching for a certain amount of years. Um, then they'll give you this transitional A license. But what it means is if you're granted it, which I was, is that, okay, you're a professional in your field. We know that you have the content knowledge and, uh, you know, expertise. But in New York, this is what's really amazing about New York City and why the education system is so great, which is different than Florida, um, is that every single teacher in New York City has to have a master's degree in their specific content that they are teaching. So if you're teaching science, you must have a master's of education in science. Whoa. Every single teacher in every public school has a master's degree of teaching in their field. And you can't teach something else. You have to teach within your content. Yes. So this was all news to me. I was, I was building the plane, you know, while I was flying it, just like this pandemic, you know, it's like yeah. figuring it out. I was in it and I was like, what do I have to do? They were like, you have to get a master's degree within five years of you teaching. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, do you guys pay for that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're like, oh no. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, and while New York City eventually, like if once you're in the system for a while, the pay is some of the best in the in the country. Every teacher starts out like I remember mm -hmm. my first paycheck from teaching. I was so excited to have a salary. I'm like, wait a minute, how did I make more dancing? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was yeah it's shocked. true. I was in total shock. Um, but the incredible thing about New York is that the resources, if you look for them, are so abundant. And it's why I love this city. 
you, if you put yourself out there, you will make it happen, but you got to make it happen. And so, um, there are only at the time two, uh, graduate programs that have master's degrees in education for dance. Ooh. And that's the, yeah, there's only two. There's one at NYU, mm -hmm. very expensive. <laughs> very expensive, yes. Like, okay. And then um, there was a one that was pretty new that was started up um, at Hunter College, which Hunter College is a CUNY school, which is a City University of New York school that mm -hmm. is well, well known throughout history for being the in the forefront of education. And so they started a dance education master's graduate program spearheaded by Jody Arnhold, who for uh, most people probably know her because she um, started Dell, which is the dance education laboratory at the 92nd Street Y. Mm -hmm. And it's a continuing education for teachers. It's um, professional development for dance teachers specifically. And she just supports all of dance in public schools in New York City. I mean, she really, it's her mission. And so she decided that there weren't enough teachers who were certified to teach in our public schools. And her dream is for every public school to have a dance program. She needed teachers to fill those. And you have to be properly certified and, and have the right um, graduate degree. So she started this program at Hunter College. I encourage anyone to check it out who might be considering. Me. Um, Yes, yes, yes. And funny enough, right before I started this uh, podcast, the director there, Kathleen Isaac, she texted me about something. So it's it's like a family. And um, she, so to make a long story short, part of it is that Jody Arnhold, uh, for most of the students, helps to pay for their their graduate degree. That is incredible. Incredible, yeah incredible and it's out of her passion and love for dance and wanting it to thrive as a seriously taken content in our schools we know that arts are just as important as math as science you know we all had a music class in every school why don't we have a dance class you know mm -hmm. and that's really her mission and so on top of that um when you apply for the program you there's a it's a very long process it was one of the longest dance auditions actually I've been to, which I was very surprised about. It was ballet, modern, African, improv. And then, you know, you have your interviews and you have to write your essays about kind of like your mission of, you know, what what it, what are you going to do for, wow. for our art form? And they review it. Um, it's almost like a pre-thesis, you know, like what would your thesis mm -hmm. be at this moment? And so through that whole process, um, I... I was so, so grateful because I ended up being awarded one of two scholarships that are um, they're Heather Watts scholarships. So the Balanchine Ballerina, Jody has two scholarships in her name um, and they completely pay fully for your graduate degree. 100, wow. Even books. <laughs> wow. And I, yeah, I still like, it feels like a dream and I am forever so, so grateful. So they were so committed to supporting me and my vision, um, that it didn't have to be a financial burden. You know, it was of course a time burden in terms of, I was teaching full time, starting a program, a mother and going to night classes, you know, for mm -hmm. about three years, it took me to finish because it's intense. Um, 
but so worth it. And I feel like I am such a different teacher than I would have been if, if I hadn't gone through that program. Absolutely. So. I mean, so it sounds like you, I mean, the biggest hurdle with this program is, was jumping that graduate program and getting that solidified for you. What are other things that are you're, you're learning about starting a program from nothing? Sure. So um, everything, I, a fight is not the word, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels like it maybe sometimes, but persistence uh, and being able to speak intelligently, not about dance, but also in an educational language. So when I first started uh, teaching and I hadn't gone through my graduate school program, I remember in staff meetings and at professional developments, I felt like I had no idea what they were talking about because there's a certain semantics of educational language that is different from dance, obviously. And it wasn't until I understood the meaning of a lot of what they were talking about that I could go, Oh, that's what we do in dance, but we call it this. And so mm -hmm. you can't talk to principals and assistant principals and superintendents and make a case for our art form and make a case for why it's important in education and speak in our language, which they don't understand. Right. So you have to understand how to teach your higher ups even about dance in a way that they understand it. And I think that's really huge. And once you can articulate that, they're on board because they're like, oh my gosh, yes, this is the mission of education, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's number one. And then number two, yeah, with the persistence. So for, in, I'll give you an example. When I was gonna start, one of my stipulations was that I said, I must have a double block. We all know as dancers, you need at least an hour and a half to conduct a proper full dance class. Mm -hmm. In the public school system, classes are about 45 to 50 minutes. And um, we each teacher has five of those a day. I really, really had to push for getting a double block. They don't want that because they want to have more kids, you know, through your class because they need to program them. So what I did was I said, can this be their art credit? One period be their art credit and then other period be their phys ed credit. That way it's getting rid of two of their credits, but it's a double block and we put them right next to each other. That was a struggle. That took a while because uh, what I had to do was, um, you know, every, every department of education has their own set of standards. Mm -hmm. So in New York, there's dance standards or art standards. So it's easy. They align us to that. Well, what I did was I had to then sit there with the phys ed standards and I had to, it seems so obvious to dancers, but again, you have to lay it out. I had to mm -hmm. prove why dance fulfills every single one of the standards in the phys ed credit. And then I had to submit that to the state and I had to wait until the state, um, you know, said yes. And, and thankfully they did. Uh, and you know, everything takes a long time and a lot of patience. And so now we have the double blocks, which is necessary. It just, it is, if you're going to really have a true full dance class. So mm -hmm. I would say persistence. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, funding, donating. Yeah. 
don't expect to go into a public school, as we all know, and all of a sudden have some type of budget to do anything with. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because my husband always said, like, you should start a dance company. I'm like, I don't want to start a dance company. I don't want to deal with all the, like, administrative stuff. The money. You don't want to deal with the I money. Get it, get it. I don't want to deal with the money. I don't want to do I just want to dance and yeah. I want to create. But um, that's basically what I do is I kind of run a small dance company. And to be honest, I have found a lot of fun in it because it's so much problem solving. And as dancers, you know, choreographers, it's like, we love to do that. Curriculum development, it's all creative. So when I'm being persistent in these ways, it's really a creative process of thinking, okay, this is what I want. How am I going to get it done? I promise there is a way. So there was no budget. And I'm like, how do I put on a show? They're like, we don't know. I'm like, do you have costume money? Nope. I'm like, okay. Um, so Throughout time, I, you know, and you start to try to do all the typical fundraising things and they really produce so little with so much time, you know, whether it's the kids selling the chips or having, you know, I don't know, a car wash, whatever it is. But mm -hmm. my vision for the program and the dreams in which the type of people I wanted to bring in and the partnerships I wanted to have and the experiences they should have as New Yorkers um, really needed more than that. Um, so the beautiful thing was that because we have a partnership with the Joffrey Ballet School, um, I was able to ask Joe, the director, I said, if I put on a nutcracker, could we borrow some of the costumes <laughs> since we are in partnership? And she was mm -hmm. like, for you, I trust you. Yes. So what I started to do is I build it up over the years, but now we put on a full-fledged nutcracker because just like ballet companies it's what brings in a lot of money and a lot of ticket sales and mm -hmm. we offer it as you know we're in Brooklyn and so we offer it to the community as an opportunity to see see almost like a full-length ballet and then for me um, although it's an insane amount of work it is almost like the student's ballet assessment halfway through the year and it gives them something to really work towards and to move up through and to provide for the community we invite the elementary schools we have day shows where the elementary schools come and um and thankfully we're so grateful to the joffrey ballet school that we're able to use their costumes i mean i literally go to joffrey at the end of their their nutcracker uh, run. I always have to schedule my nutcracker, you know, right after theirs because I need their mm -hmm. costumes. I literally go to this the theater on their last day as they're taking off their costumes and I pack <laughs> them in my car. It's like, it's so funny. They're like, can I just get the tutu off first? I'm like, yeah, we got to go. Um, so that has really changed everything because the money that we make through ticket sales is fundraised money. And with fundraised money, I have a lot more leeway to make decisions and bring in incredible artists from New York City to work with my students for the spring semester. So mm -hmm. that's how I fund um, master classes and choreographers. I mean, this year I was able to bring in a dancer from NDT to create on them. Bill T. Jones in the past, Complexions, Limone, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things where we're in New York City and, you know, 
with the connections we have and our friends who are still dancing in companies, I'm like, I want to use that for my kids to be able to have those experiences. And to be honest, the Nutcracker has provided that. The Nutcracker <laughs> through. <laughs> That's awesome. You really are providing like a, a college environment at, at such an earlier stage in their in their development, which is amazing. And you're right. There's so many creative talents in New York City that are that are your friends that are peers or people that you've made connections with that you can just easily call on and I, I just to circle back when you're talking about curriculum I think dancers and performers are the most creative when it comes to making something happen like that I know it was I was faced with um I was lucky enough to be asked to come teach in some turnaround art schools down in South Florida. And they wanted to bring dance in. And I said, okay, great. And they said, but this is the first year we're doing it. Here is your third grade standard for the state. And like, here's the language art standards. And now you have to make sure that you can take a dance standard and pair it with the language art standard and tell us how you're doing it. I said, oh, I have to do this? Yeah. They're like, like, yes, because... (laughs) Because like something like uh, drawing or playwriting, something else has a language arts component to it. And they said, but you, there's, no, there's no component for dance. So you have to create this. And I was like, uh, I have to create a class and the standards for it. And they were like, mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. So you really do have to be creative and find out stretch your own mind to make that all fit together. So kudos to you for starting it from, from nothing and really developing all of those age levels and those class curriculums. Cause it's, it's a lot for sure. And, and it's ever a changing and evolving. Like I'm constantly still learning new things and better ways of doing things and doing things. Um, and also just, I would say to anyone who's starting a program or anything like just patience and knowing that, you know, it's going to take time and we all want it to be the program. We want it to be right away. But I remember having like my list of things, you know, these are all the things I want. Mm -hmm. And then being ready so that when I, you have to prove yourself too. like, you have to prove yourself to the administration and to the the value of the school. And you will do that because that's what dancers do. But it takes time for people to trust you and what you do. And when you do, and when they do call you into your office and they're like, that was amazing. I can't believe, you know, that that is happening here. You go, thank you so much. You know what we really need is we need Marley. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so you have to find the opportune moments, you know, when people are open and available to you to, um, to want to support because of the work that you and your students and the art form innately does, um, Mm -hmm. they just don't know. And also, you know, when I started the program, um, I started with my first freshman class. So that was only one class. So I was building a program. So my other classes throughout the day were elective dance classes. They were students who had never danced in their life, who might not even have chosen to be in dance. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember I spent a month creating my curriculum before I started. And the first day when I met my students in those classes and I asked them questions and I literally went home and threw it in the trash and said, got to start over. Mm -hmm. Because knowing your students really has to be a big part of what drives what's valuable in the curriculum for them. And so um, 
you know, I was terrified to teach those classes at first. And then by the end of the year, they were some of my favorite classes because to be a part of a human's first dance experience, Mm -hmm. to watch them go like hands crossed, like I ain't doing nothing. And who are you? And what is this? How did I get here? To then at the end of the year, being so much more physically confident and being able to work with other people and excited to come in and move and realizing that like, dancing boosted their mood and and made them feel good and connected to themselves and each other was so amazing. And every year I lost one of those classes because the program grew for my auditioned kids um, to a point where then there was a year, two years where we didn't have any elective dance classes. They were, dance was only an auditioned in program. And I really felt the school was lacking that. And so part of my mission in my vision for the program was to get elective classes back. I was like, if we have this dance program here and this room, other kids in this school who may never have had the opportunity to dance at all or even experience dance, because we need audience members too. You know, we need dancers. Mm -hmm. We also need future audience members. And that means educating other people in dance and loving dance Mm -hmm. um, to, to add again. So For about, again, like I said, being patient, I had been mentioning to in every one of my meetings with a principal or an AP, um, you know, I really think it'd be wonderful to bring in a second dance teacher. I really think it'd be wonderful to bring in a second dance teacher that could teach elective dance and offer that. And, you know, they they acted as if it wasn't possible because, you know, the priority generally is going to go to, you know, bringing on another ELL or, you know, Mm -hmm. special needs teacher, which completely we understand, like the budget, it needs to go where it needs to go. Um, But I, they heard me and they, they didn't say anything, but about two years later, uh, they, uh, I guess, you know, the budget had changed and I was in one of my last, my last year of graduate school. And my AP said, you know, I think I think it it's might be time. I think we might be able to do this. And so so incredible to me, we were able to hire a second dance teacher and I was able to, you know, give some of my advice in the hiring because they don't know, you know, dance teachers as well and mm-hmm. She's incredible. Her name is Monica Lassard, and she graduated from Point Park University in mm-hmm. the Jazz program, which we all know was a fierce program. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was perfect because she teaches the elective dance classes. So we offer that to the students, but then she can also be my jazz teacher because that's not an area that I feel so confident to teach in. And it, it, I just, yeah, it's not, I'm the ballet and modern teacher and she Mm -hmm. now is like my jazz instructor. So, but it was like five or six years, five years of just me. And now I have this other person who just having the support of another dancer in the building is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Something I was not, I was not prepared for two things when I first started the program. Tune in next week when Sabrina tells us what those two things are and we finish her incredible story. See you next week. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. To view additional content, follow E's podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe and leave comments on the episode wherever this podcast can be found. See you next week.